Lord, we are thankful that you are our sure and steady anchor, that uh, however we might be dealing with the troubles of life, that we know we can depend on you. And so, Lord, we pray that as we open your word uh, this morning and as you caution us through your word about the things that we may endure, that we might lean in hard on you and depend on you even when times are difficult. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks for uh, praying for me and my family. The last uh, couple weeks we uh, went through COVID and uh, are now symptom-free and glad to be uh, back with you and um, appreciate your, your prayers uh, for that. As we're looking this morning at God's Word in Matthew chapter 10, uh, it, it comes to mind that uh, mission movies are super popular. The, you know, when you're, you're going on some kind of a mission, you have some kind of objective that you're uh, wanting to accomplish, whether it's Ocean's Eleven or Mission Impossible or Raya and the Lost Dragon or Star Wars, like the, all, all kinds of movies have these mission themes to them where you see the team gathering together and they're going, okay, this is what we have to do. This is our objective. This is what we're trying to accomplish. And then they go, okay, now what is it going to cost us to do that? What's it going to cost us to be able to accomplish this objective? And what are the obstacles we're going to have to overcome as we do it, right? Because at first, somebody says, uh, what we have to do is we have to go in, we need to break into the safe, we need to grab the, the valuables and get out again. And you go, somebody else goes, well, that sounds easy. Yeah. And then it's like this pause, right? Dramatic effect. Pause. The only problem is these 13 cameras and the motion detectors and the heat sensors and the lasers and the cages that come down and the snakes. Like, that, 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 that's the only problem is all these obstacles that you have to overcome in order to achieve your objective in this mission. Well, Sometimes it's like that, and we really enjoy it when we're watching it in a movie because it's very exciting to us. All these challenges, ooh, how are they going to overcome these challenges? What kind of technology are they going to use to overcome these challenges? It becomes more serious when we start thinking of like military objectives, right? But the same thing holds true. So whether you're in uh, Korea or Afghanistan or Iraq, or Ukraine, you have, this is your mission, and this is what it's going to cost to get there. Here are the risks associated with this mission. And you have to calculate that and say, okay, is this going to be worth the cost? What is the reward if we are successful in obtaining our mission? What are the risks involved? What are the obstacles we're going to have to overcome? Well, Jesus is sending his disciples on a mission in Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, at the beginning, he calls his disciples to him and he lists the disciples. And then uh, in verse 5, he sends them out, right? You may remember this. In verse 5, he sends them out. He said to them, uh, don't go anywhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And this is their mission. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, 
raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out the demons. That's your mission. You're supposed to go as your mission, and you're supposed to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and here's the proof. You're going to heal people. You're going to cast out the demons. You're going to heal the lepers. You're going to do all kinds of amazing signs to heal people and make them well, to restore people as proof of uh, your proclamation that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you look at that and go, well, that sounds easy. That doesn't sound like any big deal. We're just going to go out and tell everybody good news? Yes, that's your mission. Go out and tell everybody good news. Sweet, sign me up for that. Who doesn't want to get signed up to go out and tell everybody good news? And then he says, "Uh, okay, there are a couple things, though, that you need to be worried about. As you go out, you're going to go and you're going to talk to kings, you're going to talk to governors, you're going to talk to influential people, you're going to talk all over the world about this good news. And you go, great, sign me up again. This is getting better and better. And he says, watch out for the death part, though. Come again? Excuse me? The death part? Yeah, the, you know, the, the death part where everybody hates you. I thought we were going out to tell them good news. You are. I thought we were going out to heal them. You are. I thought we were going out to set them free from captivity to demons and other, uh, other things. Yes, you're supposed to do that too. Why with the death thing then? And Jesus told him last week, this is not going to be popular. It sounds popular. It sounds popular. It sounds like you get to be the demonstration guy at, at, at Costco, right? Vitamix de- demonstration. Look at how amazing this thing is. Flip on all the switches, blend it. No strawberry seeds. That's amazing. No raspberry seeds. Are you kidding me? This is f- fantastic. You get to be the demonstration guy doing the Vitamix thing, demonstration that everybody is excited about, except watch out for the death part where they hate you. Because those Blendtec people, they can be brutal. This is the warning that Jesus is sending them out with. He says, now watch out because there are going to be some obstacles. And those are, these are the obstacles that we're going to have to overcome as Jesus' disciples as we're sent out on this mission to proclaim good news and to proclaim healing and pro- to provide compassion and mercy. There are obstacles. And these are the obstacles. Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 26. Have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But not even the hairs of your head are all but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But he, whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. 
He says, now as you go out, not everybody is going to like you. Not everybody is going to appreciate what you have to say. You are headed into enemy territory to win back and rescue people from the kingdom of darkness to bring them into the kingdom of light. That's what's going on here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hey, I have good news for you. You can be rescued from the kingdom of darkness and you can come to the kingdom of light, which is glorious and wonderful. And not everybody is going to appreciate that message. Some people are very happy to be in the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness is working rather well for them, and they don't want any of this light business. Don't shine any light over here. I don't want to see what's happening. I don't want anybody to know what's going on over here. I'm thriving in this context. Thank you very much. I don't need to be rescued from it. And don't you go dragging anybody else out of here. I'm benefiting from them, so what are you doing trying to bring them to a kingdom of light? I don't want that. You are threatening my livelihood. You are threatening my well-being. You are threatening my happiness. Get out, or I will kick you out. These are the dangers associated with being sent into enemy territory to proclaim what sounds to us like very good news. There is a God in heaven who loves you and wants you to come and be adopted into his family so that he can watch over you and protect you and you can delight in him forever. That, to me, is very good news. And not everybody wants to hear it. Not everybody wants to hear it. And so the first thing that he says is, don't be afraid on this mission, one of the obstacles to uh, success is going to be your fear. That's going to be one of the obstacles to success. Your fear. You're going to have to overcome that. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of them. The first reason that you shouldn't be afraid, he says, is because the truth is going to be made known. Have no fear of them, he says. In verse 26, so have no fear of them. The truth will be made known. There is nothing covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Don't be afraid to speak that which is true because the truth is going to be made known. Everybody is going to know it. Have you ever wondered about that before, though? What if I'm wrong? It, it, it's embarrassing. Nobody believes this stuff. If I, if I talk about it, they may not believe me, and they have other friends who also don't believe, and then I just sound like a weirdo. And I'm saying something, and everybody goes, You're weird. And so dumb if you believe that. And God says, everything that is true will be made known. Everything that is true will be made known. And so if you go out on a mission to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at near, do you know what's going to happen? That will be revealed. It will be made known. Everyone is going to know that the kingdom of heaven is coming whether they like it or not, everyone 
is going to know. So it can give you confidence, right? It can give you confidence to go out and talk about it because it's going to be made known. The things that you are talking about are going to be validated. And it's going to be shown to be true. He said there's nothing that isn't covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you, therefore, in the dark, say it in the light. What you have heard whispered, proclaim on the housetops. He says, I'm, I've been talking with you, just the, the, the group of you right here. We've been talking right here, but you don't need to keep it between us. You can go out and you can tell everybody. What you heard whispered here, go out and proclaim on the housetops. And I think last week, if you uh, were here last week or, or uh, heard the reference last week to Peter's sermon in Acts 2, that's exactly what was happening, right? The disciples were all holed up, hiding, talking about these things that Jesus had, had um, been telling them about and sent them to, to go do, and they're all sitting in this room, and they're talking about it. And then suddenly the Holy Spirit comes and lands on them and emboldens them and enlightens them to understand the truth that God had given to them. And they went outside and Peter went, Hey, everybody! Have I got something to tell you? Because everybody walking by saw something happen. They were hiding, remember? They were all hiding in this upper room so that no one would know what was going on. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes on them and there is commotion. And everybody walking by is going, what is going on over there? Those guys are drunk. That's what's going on over there. And Peter goes, you know what? We're not drunk. Let me tell you something. Hey, everybody who's listening to my voice right now, I want you to know that Jesus, the one that you crucified, has risen again from the dead, and the kingdom of heaven has come. And people were like, woohoo! Right? Everybody's so excited. Some people were. And other people went, You are out of your mind. You're out of your mind. And when we say that today, when I go out and talk with people and go, I just want you to know, this is really good news. Jesus died. He was crucified. They buried him. Three days later, he rose again from the dead to prove that he was God, that he had died for your sins, to take away the sins of the world. And now his kingdom is coming. His spiritual kingdom is here. And you can be a part of it. And they look at me and go, are you drunk? It sounds weird. It sounds weird. It even sounds weird to me. But it's true. And that which is true is going to be made known. So what you hear in the dark, what you hear in the, uh, being whispered in the quiet and in the private is then going to be proclaimed to everybody. Go out and proclaim it to everybody. Now, then he gets to the watch out for the death part. Verse 28, and don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He said, you might be afraid to proclaim it because it might sound crazy, but the truth will be made known. You might be afraid to proclaim it because of the death part, but don't be afraid of them. They can only kill your body. 
And I read that and go, not that encouraging, Jesus. The body's my favorite part of the things being alive. I like having one. But, but Jesus says, you know how you've talked with somebody and, and they go, but did you die though? Right? I was sick. Oh, I was. you should know how sick I was. But did you die though? That, like it's this very dismissive. Yeah, did you die? No, you didn't die. Oh, you sprained your pinky. Yeah, that was awful. But did you die though? And I feel like Jesus isn't quite having that dismissive of a tone, but he wants us to know but you'd only die, right? Just physically die. That's the worst that can happen. Well, let's think this through worst case scenario. On this mission, you're going on this mission to proclaim the good news to everyone who will hear it, to be merciful and compassionate, and what's the worst thing that could happen? Well, they might not like it, okay? They might get really, really mad, okay? Is that it? Could it get worse than that? Well, they might insult me, make fun of me. Okay, keep going. What, what else could happen? Uh, they could slap me. Yes, okay, anything worse than that. I could lose my job. Okay, anything worse than that? They could kill me. Trump card, right? Could result in my death, and Jesus goes, okay. Resulted in my death too. How'd that, happen? How'd that go? Jesus says, on my mission, I came to proclaim the good news that the kingdom of heaven was here and it cost me my life. Best day of my life was the last day of my life. And now I came back to life. Resurrected from the dead. Because that's who God is, and that's part of the hope of the good news of the kingdom of heaven that we have. is a brand new life, a brand new spiritual life with Jesus, and he will raise us back up again. So if they kill us in this body, oh well, all the better for me. I get to see Jesus that much sooner face to face. He says, don't, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather be afraid of him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I feel like this is the part where I'm supposed to stand up and pound a pulpit and warn you about fire and brimstone. Because at the end of the day, death is not that bad compared to eternal death. That's not a very popular message right? Can we go back to the good news part where we go and heal everybody? Can we go back to that part? Let's, let's leave this other part out. Let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about the hell thing, the danger part. But Jesus says, I want you to know that death is not that bad, but eternal death very bad. Very bad. If you refuse to accept Jesus as your Savior, then you have continued to distance yourself from God. 
You were already distant. Your sin had you distant from God, deserving of punishment for your sin. Eternal separation from Him. And Jesus offers us forgiveness of sins. And if we reject that, we end up in eternal damnation, eternal separation from God, eternal death. No one wants that. No one wants that. You don't ever hear somebody go, you know what, I don't want to be a Christian because I really want to go to hell. They deny the existence of hell. I don't believe that's real. I don't believe a loving God would ever send someone to a place like that. I don't believe that's real, so I don't have to submit to God because I don't believe in those consequences. And Jesus says, these consequences are very real. They're very real. The good news is good news, and it's beautiful. The restoration of life as it should be. Being restored to our Creator and delighting in relationship with Him and His love for us for all of eternity. That is very good news all by itself. But the bad news on the other side is that it is very bad to not do that. The consequences are very bad. So he says, don't be afraid. When you think about worst case scenario, I'm going to go and I'm going to proclaim the good news about Jesus and think about what's the worst that can happen. He says the worst that can happen is death. They could kill you. And far better that than eternal death. And I have to say that I am afraid of and stopped from proclaiming the gospel, the good news about Jesus, by far less than death. And I need these kinds of reminders from Jesus to say, what's the worst that can happen, Travis? Well, Jesus, let me tell you, they may not like me. I might offend them. But did you die, though? And I think, I need this reminder. Because when put in the context of death and when put in the context of eternal death, that they don't like me just doesn't seem that important. Don't be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both, body and, uh, both soul and body in hell. He goes on to say, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. On the one hand, I see this and it's, it's encouraging to me. He says, don't, don't you see the sparrows? You are more valuable than them. If you were here uh, when we were preaching through, I think it was Matthew chapter 6, I repeated over and over again, you are more valuable than birds. If you were here, you probably remember hearing me say that. You are more valuable than birds. 
God loves you, thinks that you are more important than birds. And God loves the birds. And so I read this and go, oh yeah, I remember in the context of being anxious, you know, he said, don't be anxious because I provide for the birds and I will provide for you and you are more valuable than birds. And I thought at that time, but I don't know that I always believe that. Like if you ask me, do you think you're more valuable than birds? I'd go, yeah. And then I also worry at the same time because I have anxiety about things and I think, what if God doesn't provide for me in this? And then he reminds me, but you're more valuable than birds. And so here, again, he's repeating those same things. He's grabbing those same kinds of ideas from Matthew chapter 6 and the, and the Sermon on the Mount and he's bringing them out here and he says, uh, don't be afraid because you are more valuable than many sparrows. And I go, oh yeah, I am more valuable than birds. God loves me and he will provide for me. And he says, so... Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And none of them fall to the ground apart from your father. Hold up. That's less encouraging suddenly. Don't you know that every time a sparrow dies, God knows? You're more valuable than they are. How come you talked about the death part, God? Why couldn't it be, don't you know that God sees every time a sparrow flies by? You are more valuable than sparrows. Great, I love that. But instead, he says, don't you know that every time a sparrow falls to the ground, that your father knows about that? And even all the hairs of your head are numbered. God knows you. He knows every time a sparrow falls to the ground, he knows every time a hair falls out. He knows you. He knows you and is with you all the way till death. We don't have to worry via chapter 6 about uh, having enough, being anxious about having enough because you are more valuable than birds and God will provide for you. We do not need to worry about death because God even sees when the sparrows die and cares. And he will watch you unto death and he cares because you are more valuable than birds. You are more valuable than birds. So, he says, set up the whole thing. Don't be afraid. One of the obstacles to proclaiming the good news about Jesus is that we might be afraid. And then he wraps it all up and he says in verse 32 and 33, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. (sighs) Gut punch. Just right to the center. Everyone who acknowledges me will be acknowledged before God, and everyone who denies me will be denied before God. So he says, so go out there. And tell people, proclaim it, own it, own it. Don't be afraid. The second obstacle that we might encounter in keeping us from proclaiming the good news about Jesus is family. First was fear, second was family. Family's pretty good. Why would family keep us? from proclaiming the good news. He says in verse 34, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother-in-law, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. 
and a person's enemy will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus says, I, I know you think that I came to bring peace and just reconcile everything and everybody. And that is the hope that Jesus offers It's the hope that Jesus offers that we can be reconciled to him. But in our being reconciled to Jesus, it will reorient our lives. It reprioritizes our lives and there will be division because of it. People we used to get along with, people that were friends that we got along with really well, when we start following Jesus, suddenly there's this wedge there between us and them. And that's true right all the way into our own families. I think that sometimes we do a disservice in the church because we value families so highly. Let, no, let, me, let me press in on that a little bit. Families are very important. God set up families as the structure on which all of society is built. They are a great blessing from God. To be in a family and to have children from generation to generation is a a great blessing. It talks about that over and over again in Scripture. And so we as the church, we adopt that and we say, families are a great blessing. They are a high value. Family first. Family first. And Jesus says, but I want you to be careful because it isn't family first, it's me first. But because we have this idea about family, we go, wait, every time there's something that's not right in the family, there must be something wrong with me. There must be something wrong because God loves families and wants me to have a happy life with a really healthy family. And so if there's something going wrong in this family, there must be something wrong with me. And we start talking about it in the church as if the family unit, having the healthy family with exactly the beautiful marriage that you're supposed to have and the healthy kids that are following Jesus the way that it's supposed to go and all of the extended family the way that it's supposed to be with a family first, like good, solid American values kind of a family, this is the ideal And if you're doing the right thing as a husband, if you're doing the right thing as a wife, then God will give you that. And we start talking about it in terms of a Christian virtue gospel, a Christian virtue good news. That is, if you are doing the right things as a son, as a father, as a parent, as a wife, as a husband, then you will get this, and that's the goal. Know what? Not the goal. Not the goal. When it happens, it is a beautiful blessing from God and a byproduct of the gospel and not the goal. It's just not. The goal 
is that we would be restored to Jesus and be brought into his family. And the disservice that we do is that when we talk about family, healthy family as being the goal, then everybody who doesn't have that goes, I am lost. I am lost then. And Jesus wants to be very clear. Look, I didn't come to bring peace. I came with a sword. There's going to be division. There's going to be division because of me, because of Jesus. That's why there's going to be division. He says, for I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He's going right to the heart of relationships and going between a parent and a child, there is going to be division over me. Between the daughter-in-law and the mother-in-law. And in our context, we go, well, yeah, of course, there's going to be division between the daughter-in-law and the mother-in-law. But that's not this context. In this context, a daughter-in-law would honor her mother-in-law and look to her to be a mentor on how life should be. And Jesus is going, I'm going to cause division there. And between the father and the son, between a father and his son? There's going to be division between a mother and her daughter? Jesus says, it's me. I'm going to give you a new family. I'm going to give you a new family. And you are going to follow me. But do you know what happens is we get led astray in those family dynamics, in those family relationships. We are trying to not offend. We're trying to not cause division. We're trying to keep the peace. And sometimes that's just not possible. Because when we talk about Jesus and when we want to follow Jesus, there's going to be division there. And Jesus says, you have to love me more. You have to love me more. How many times do we read about in the Old Testament people who were led astray by us? God warned them ahead of time. Careful. Be faithful to me first. For he says in verse 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. It is my prayer that you would all have healthy families. That it would be the picture perfect, beautiful representation of God and his people in the marriage relationship between the husband and the wife. And that the children would follow in those footsteps of parents who are wholeheartedly following Jesus, that the, the children would follow that as well. But I want to know that if that doesn't happen, pick Jesus. Pick Jesus. Pick Jesus. 
and pray for those who are lost. Because he says, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And again, we get to the verses 38 and 39, and it just presses right in. And I, we talk about the cross so much in the church that, you, oh yeah, I'm just carrying my cross. As though it was some kind of inconvenience or burden or difficulty or something. I'm just bearing my cross. But the picture that Jesus has in mind when, and would be in the minds of talking to in this context would be someone who is carrying their cross up the hill to be crucified. That's the time that you carry a cross. It's a one-way trip. I'm going to bear my cross unto death. I'm going to walk. I'm not going to come back down the hill. I'm carrying my cross up the hill, and that's going to be the end. And what Jesus is saying is, you are on your way to death. Your mission is a life and death mission, and you will die before the mission is over. It may be soon, it may be a long time from now, but before the mission is over, death is going to happen. And so let's, let's bear those crosses. Let's know where we're headed. Let's know what the costs are. Let's know what the obstacles are that we need to overcome so that we might proclaim the kingdom of heaven is here. So is it worth it? Right? If he says the obstacles are going to be your fear and your family or friends, close relationships, if those are the, the, the dangers and the obstacles, is it going to be worth it? Then he presses in, and this is the beautiful part, verses 40 through 42. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet receives a prophet's reward. The one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. He says, look, I, my Father in heaven has sent me and I am sending you. And so he who receives you receives me and receives the one who sent me. These are the rewards. Uh, the person who receives a prophet because he's a prophet receives a prophet's reward. That, that just makes sense, right? If, if you do something for someone, you uh, get the reward that they are able to give, right? If you, if you help a millionaire, you get a millionaire's reward. If you help a billionaire, you get a billionaire's reward. If you help a thousandaire, what's a, what, I don't even know what that is. You get a thousandaire's reward, right? D -d Depending on who you help, you get that kind of reward. He says, if you receive a prophet, you get a prophet's reward. Who's a prophet? A prophet is someone who is proclaiming God's word to people on behalf of God. I'm proclaiming, and so what's the reward that you get? If when you receive God's word, the reward is you get God's word. 
Jesus is the one who is proclaiming this. He is the Word of God. He is the exact representation of all that God has desired to communicate to His people. Embodied in the life of Jesus. He says, what I want you to know about who I am, about my character, about what I'm for, about what I'm like, about who I am, I just, I give you Jesus. That's who I am. That's who I am. The kind of person that walks and honors God and, and, and preaches and teaches and heals and is so compassionate and so loving and so patient and so kind and so just. This is who God is, represented in Jesus. And when we proclaim him, when we proclaim him as a prophet, speaking God's word to people who desperately need to hear it, those who receive it receive a prophet's reward. They receive the word of God. A person who receives a righteous person, because he's a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. When they receive Jesus, right? Jesus is the righteous one. And what do you get when you receive Jesus? you get His righteousness. All of your sin is taken away, and His righteousness is imparted to you instead. You get His righteousness. This is the beauty of the good news of Jesus. And the encouragement to us, right, that when we go out and we proclaim, those who receive it will receive In fact, they only have to do just a very little bit to receive it. It says, and whoever gives one of these little ones, one of his disciples that he's sending out, well, if he gives him even just a cup of cold water, because he's my disciple, truly I say to you, he will reward. If they are hospitable in accepting you, even in just offering you a cup of water when you're thirsty, they are receiving from me and they will not lose their reward. Is it worth it? Is it worth the cost? The people that we get to proclaim the good news to when they receive it get everything. They get, they get everything. They get eternal life, delighting in God forever. Not everyone is going to receive it. Some are going to be hostile, and it's going to be costly. We need to count that cost and expect to uh, have it cost us a lot. But is it worth it? Yeah. Yeah, because for those who hear, for those who receive, they get to become children of God too. They get to inherit eternal life. What's not worth that? This is why Paul would say, I would lay down my life for you. I'd lay down my life for you. That you might receive it. That you might have eternal life along with me. So we count the cost. And we recognize the obstacles that are in the way of our mission. And say, okay God, I trust you. I'm not going to let my fear get in the way. I'm not going to let my family and friends get in the way. Because it is so important to proclaim 
that the kingdom of heaven is here and to watch people set free from the kingdom of darkness. Let's pray. Father, it is easy here in this safe space to analyze the cost and the benefit and to decide that the good news about Jesus. But Lord, when we step out from here into the contexts of families who don't believe in you, it gets harder. As we step out from here and start to encounter opposition to the gospel that we are proclaiming, it starts to get harder. As those costs start uh, adding up and becoming reality. And so, Lord, we, we pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us, that we would be resolute in our desire to follow you wholeheartedly, that we would recognize that the cost is, is but small in context of the reward that we, would re, that we receive and that those whom we speak to will receive. And so, Lord, would you make us bold, not by our own power or our own strength, but by the power and strength of the Holy Spirit at work within us. May we count the cost and consider it worth, uh, worth losing for your sake, that we might have eternal life with you and that many more would have it as well. And we ask for this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.